Well, as we continue our journey towards emotionally healthy spirituality together, uh, this week we want to look at uh, two rhythms that can be vital to this journey, to becoming these kinds of people and and followers of Jesus. And we're going to do this this week in kind of two parts, sort of a a two-part message. First, looking at the rhythm uh, that's called the daily office, and then considering a rhythm called weekly Sabbath keeping. So first, I want to share with us a little bit about this this concept of the daily office. And I want to give us a a visual to help us think about this. Um, There was a time when uh, Midwest farmers would tie a rope between uh, their farmhouse and their barn at the first signs of winter. Um, Because Midwest blizzards can be treacherous. They can come in quickly and and create like a full-scale whiteout. And in a time sort of before electricity or on properties that didn't really have many other landmarks, uh, a farmer could actually get lost if a a blizzard came quickly between barn and house right in their own backyard. And there's actually stories uh, of farmers when they didn't have a rope tied who in the worst of blizzards found themselves actually wandering in circles until some froze to death steps from their own front door. Now, I think sometimes our lives can actually feel like a, a blizzard. Um, you know, that we live with frantic schedules and, and, and over-busied calendars, all kinds of swirling demands and ac- expectations, trying to multitask our way through life. I think some of us feel like we live uh, with snowballed conflicts in our relationships all of which can make us feel lost at times or as though our souls don't know their way home, their way back to God. And Peter Scazzaro, who's the author of these resources that we're learning from, uh, would say that the rhythm of the daily office can serve as a daily lifeline back to God. Now, this this term daily office, um, it actually comes originally from a Latin phrase that means the work of God. That's where this comes from. And that's kind of what we're talking about, that the daily office means the work of God. And this is about creating a rhythm in our lives um, to stop and set aside our own work to actually pay attention to the work of God, to the presence and activity of God in our lives. And the earliest Christians practiced this rhythm and routine of the daily office. Um, Sixth century uh, monks, uh, they, maybe only really as monks can, set aside up to seven times a day for this daily office routine where they'd stop their work and kind of be mindful of the work of God. Uh, The earliest followers of Jesus in the New Testament, they were described as going to the temple daily to to engage in prayer and be, be present to God's presence. And Jesus as well was known for regularly getting away to a quiet place to pay attention to his father's work. This is that the rhythm that we describe as the daily office. Now, now for some of us who have been exploring this or trying this through this resource, the day-by-day daily office devotional guide, um, I hope that we're seeing that this certainly isn't about some kind of religious checkbox, as though we got to go through the motions or make sure we did, you know, the right thing every day out of duty to somehow be right with God. It's definitely not that. 
But it's also more than just getting a little bit of inspiration for the day, as though if we just read the right quote or the right passage, it'll, it'll fill us up and help us get through the day. No, no, what's interesting about the concept of the daily office is that while the pausing is critical to paying attention to the work and presence of God, uh, the pausing isn't actually the primary point. When it comes to this rhythm of the daily office, uh, the taking opportunities to pause is actually about how the pausing can then infiltrate the rest of our lives. That if a couple or maybe even a few times a day we, we stop what we're doing to be attentive to God's presence, that can actually flow into the rest of our lives, even sometimes the busyness or chaos or blizzard of our lives. That we have anchor points where we can remember that, that God is with us and that God loves us and that God is at work all around us. Now, Pete Scazzaro would describe uh, four elements that kind of make up how we practice the daily office that are sort of common to the experience. He would say that the daily office consists of stopping, of centering, of silence, and of scripture. First, that we, like I've already mentioned, stop what we're doing. We, we pause in our day to, to actually enter into this practice, to set aside whatever we're doing and our distractions for, for a couple of minutes, maybe three or even five, you know, a couple of times a day. And then in that stopping, we do our best to sort of take a deep breath and center ourselves, our minds and our hearts to actually be aware of God. Pete describes uh, silence as, as a super critical aspect of that to sort of quiet uh, the noise around us so that we can be, be listening and be attentive. And then scripture can even play a role in guiding our hearts and minds towards uh, who God is, God's love for us, and what the way of Jesus looks like. Now, as counter sort of cultural as this practice can be, among those four elements, uh, I feel like the one that may be most counterintuitive or most countercultural of all is the very act of sitting in silence, of taking some space in our day to, to get quiet, to get away from the noise and seek to sit in silence for, for a couple of minutes to just kind of quiet our whole being. You know, we live in a noisy world. And in a lot of ways, we can be addicted to, to noise and constant stimulation. Again, we're bombarded by just activity all around us, advertising, stimulation. And for many of us, even when we seek to have some downtime or quiet time, we often fill our interior with noise through our screens. And yet I wonder if in, if in this noisy world that contributes to the chaos and our blizzard-like conditions at times, I wonder if that's why silence can sometimes play such a significant role in helping be that lifeline back to God in the midst of all the noise. And in a moment, we're going to have a chance to, to practice this daily office experience together. But before we do, I want to just share quickly one illustration from Scripture that I think can demonstrate for us how uh, sometimes it's silence uh, silence is the place where we can most profoundly encounter God when we need it the most. Um, this story comes uh, out of the, the life of the prophet Elijah. 
And Elijah is known as one of the, the most famous prophets from, from the Old Testament. Um, and in an event following his most spectacular sort of prophetic act, where he was able to, to sort of through prayer supernaturally uh, reveal God's presence in a powerful way to everyone who was with him. Uh, in the aftermath of that, he found himself in a really desperate place. He, he had to flee from his enemies and he found himself alone, isolated, a long way from home, nearly starving, and then finding himself filled with anxiety and angst on the verge of, of like suicidal depression. And it's in that context that Elijah had uh, his most profound encounter with God in a way he never had before. And I want to share what that looked like with you. We read in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, it says this, it says, the Lord said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain where Elijah found himself. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. God is basically saying to Elijah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal myself to you in a fresh way, so be ready for that. And then listen to what happened. It says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But listen to this, but the Lord was not in the wind. Then after the wind, there was an earthquake. It, it shook everything, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Then after the earthquake came, came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then it says this, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. And it was through that gentle whisper that Elijah encountered the presence of God. You know, while there are stories throughout the scriptures of God revealing God's self in things like wind and earthquakes and fire, um, not to be confused with the funk sensation, earth, wind, and fire, but uh, while God can reveal God's self in all things and sometimes in those big uh, acts like that, I think sometimes in our most desperate moments, especially when everything around us feels like uh, that blizzard of life, it's actually in the quiet and in the gentle whisper that we encounter God's presence the most. Or as some translations say, through a still, small voice. Or even more literal to the Hebrew translation here, it's trying to express the, the sound of sheer silence. And that kind of gets to the heart of why this rhythm of the daily office of stopping, you know, somewhere in our day, maybe even a couple times in a day and seeking to center our hearts and quiet ourselves, get away from the noise in some silence, um, can be this lifeline back to God for our souls in what can be a stormy, blizzard-like, noisy and chaotic life at times. And with that kind of understanding and vision of, of the daily office and the role it can play in an emotionally healthy spirituality journey, uh, what we want to do now is wherever you are, uh, is to have a chance to experience this a little bit together. That um, I'm going to guide us through uh, one of the daily office resources and guides for this coming week, actually reflecting on the same passage about Elijah I just read uh, to you. You're going to get to hear it again, but have a little bit more quiet to consider, uh, to be attentive to God's presence and to consider what God might be saying to you even now. Um, we'll start 
with about a minute of silence. Um, I know for some of us, this is becoming familiar and a routine, maybe even one that we, we deeply depend on. Um, well, for others, this might be brand new and feel weird or awkward. And uh, as you try to sit still and silent, it might be hard to feel like you can silence the noise internally, but, but do your best and just try, try to keep coming back to an awareness of the presence of God who is with us and let us practice this moment today of daily office together. So take a deep breath. Get comfortable in your seat. You may want to have your feet flat on the floor. You could close your eyes if you think that's helpful. You could open your hands in front of you as a posture of just openness. And let's start by just being silent, being quiet, knowing God is with us and at work and listen for his voice. Coming out of the silence, I'll read for us once again this scripture from 1 Kings 19. It says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. This is the devotional reflection on this passage. It says, when God appeared to Elijah, after Elijah's flight from Jezebel, who was the, the person he was fleeing, fleeing from, and during his suicidal depression, God told him to stand and wait for the presence of the Lord to pass by. And God did not appear in ways he had showed up in the past. Um, God was not in the wind, as with Job, who we heard about last week. God was not in the earthquake as when he gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And God was not in the fire like the burning bush Moses saw. No, God revealed himself to Elijah in a gentle whisper, which can also be translated as a sound of sheer silence. The common translation of this passage does not fully capture the original Hebrew, but what could the translators do? How do you hear silence? It's the silence after the chaos for Elijah and for us that is full of the presence of God. God spoke to Elijah out of the silence.
And so God invites us to sit and to wait like Elijah. Why? Because God also wants to speak to us out of the sound of sheer silence. So now I'm going to give us just one more kind of moment of silence. Um, and we're going to put the question to consider from this daily office on, our, on the screen, which invites you to consider when you might find some more time in, this week, in your week for this rhythm, um, but also is an opportunity for you to just take advantage of a few more moments right here of silence to listen to God, to be quiet before him, and then we'll move into the second part of our rhythms and message this week. So sit with this question and sit silently for another moment listening to God. It says, when can you set aside some time for extended, uninterrupted silence to hear God? Use this moment and consider when you might add some moments of, like this to your week. Well, as we sort of shift gears into part two this morning, uh, for the second part of our message this week, uh, we're actually going to turn our attention now to the second rhythm that's seen as critical if we're going to keep growing in emotionally healthy spiritual lives together. And this rhythm is known as weekly Sabbath keeping. It's a rhythm we see embodied by God as the creator of the universe in the very first story of the Bible, where God rested on the seventh day of creation. Uh, and it's a rhythm we see embraced by Jesus and his earliest followers as they set aside space one day a week to fully stop from work, to rest and recover, to delight in joy and goodness, and to make time to connect with God. But in our day and age, it's a rhythm that's mostly been lost, even by those of us aspiring to follow Jesus. So to help us understand what this can look like and the role it can play in our modern lives, we're now going to hear a brief encouragement from a pastor named John Mark Comer who wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which includes a section on Sabbath. Now, this video is very similar, uh, yet a little bit different from the one we were able to show in our in-person service this week, as this is a companion resource to John Mark's book, where he provides both an encouragement and some practical exercises that can help us begin exploring this rhythm in our lives. Uh, so as we take this in together, I invite you to imagine what a rhythm, a weekly rhythm of stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping one day a week might look like for you. And as John suggests some exercises you could try in the coming weeks, ask yourself, and maybe afterwards those you're watching with, what's one small step you could take toward a Sabbath rhythm this week? Uh, let's enjoy this encouragement from John Mark Comer. 
Hello again, and welcome to How to Unhurry, the companion to the ruthless elimination of hurry, where we work through four practices for unhurrying your life with exercises for each one, and I've written up a guide where you just kind of go step by step. Next up on our agenda is Sabbath. Now, this is by far my favorite of all the practices of Jesus. I'm not sure you're supposed to have a favorite, but this one is my favorite. Every Friday night when we begin Sabbath as a family, we go around the table after dinner and we make this gigantic cookie. We cook it in a cast iron pan. We put the whole cookie in just one giant thing and then we dump a case of ice cream over the top. Yes, don't judge me. And we all just eat right out of the pan, kind of hunched over the table. And as we eat dessert, we go around the table and just say highlight of the week. And I always feel like it's so embarrassing, but nine times out of ten, my highlight is Sabbath. Sabbath is for me the climax of the week. It's the best day of the week, nine times out of ten. I love it. I enjoy it. I'm sad when it's over. I look forward to it all week long. And I'm always a little bit like jarred when I chat to people on a regular basis and they're standoffish about Sabbath or they're skeptical or they think it's legalistic or it doesn't really work for them or it's a full 24 hours. Why would you do that? And I I get that. And I remember when I was at that space. But all I can tell you is that when I have to make a case for Sabbath, it feels like I have to make a case for ice cream or sunshine or a trip to Hawaii or something like who would not love this. But I do think that one of the reasons is, man, this practice is so countercultural to the hurry, busyness, workaholism, materialism, go, 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 that is life in the modern Western world. So to that end, we have just a few exercises to get you started. Now, a few things to keep in mind as you begin. One is these exercises build on each other over four weeks. So I would encourage you, especially you type A people, don't try to do all four on the same week, like first Sabbath ever. Take them one at a time and let each week build on the next. Secondly, as I said last time, remember you can't succeed or fail at this. We have a saying at Bridgetown Church, it's about practice, not perfection. Meaning, just let that inner critic, that inner perfectionist that you may or may not have, let him or her just go. When you have thoughts come into your mind such as, this didn't go well, or that was a bad Sabbath, or I'm not good at this, or I don't really like this, or it doesn't work for me, just let those thoughts come in one ear and go out the other. Just let them go. The goal here is just to show up and rest before God an entire day just to be with him, with family, with friends, and with your own soul. And finally, remember, this is not only a countercultural practice in the world that we call home, but I would argue that Sabbath is a form of spiritual warfare. That's kind of churchy speak, but all we mean is we go up against the powers and the principalities, spiritual realities in the heavens in the language of the New Testament. And that's because rest itself is a form of spiritual warfare because it's really hard to tempt, ruin, destroy, which is the enemy's agenda, to wreck love. It's really hard to wreck the life of people that are well-rested, present to the moment, emotionally healthy, and spiritually just happy and alive in God. Those are really hard people to tempt, be it with sin, anger, uh, the sabotage of a relationship, whatever it is. So no, as you go into this practice, like gear up, there is even not only a cultural pushback, but a spiritual pushback. Just keep at it. Don't give up. Settle before God as you take an entire day to just rest and worship with God. Now, for the exercises themselves, there are four. The first one, I just call the basics. And it's very simple. Just set a day and Sabbath. When I say Sabbath, I run it through four grids in biblical theology. A day for stopping. That's what the word literally means. You just stop work, stop thinking about work, stop wanting, stop worrying. Just 
stop. Secondly, you rest, your mind, your body, even your spirit. Third, you delight. You just take an entire day and you just curate joy. You feed your soul with beauty. You Psychologists talk about pleasure stacking. Just you put as many wonderful, good, fun, happy, joyful things into a 24-hour time period as you possibly can. And finally, you worship. You just make it a day to center your soul in gratitude, affection, and love both for God and from God toward you. But the basics is basically just set a time, a day to do it. We're doing it Friday. We're doing it Saturday. This time to this time. Again, start where you're at. A full 24 hours is by far ideal. But if you're not ready for that, start with four hours, five hours, six hours on a Saturday morning. Wherever you're at, that's fine. Just start there. And then secondly, begin with some kind of a beginning ritual and ending ritual. Just something to mark the beginning of Sabbath, the end of Sabbath, to transition. In our family, based on ancient Hebrew practice, we light two candles, we pour the wine, we read a psalm, we come to center on God in prayer, and it's just a beautiful way to begin and something similar like that to end. But just do whatever's creative and fun for you, any relationships in your house, and whatever sounds life-giving. Exercise two, we call the preparation day. So this is language out of the New Testament where first century Jews would call the day before the Sabbath the preparation day because it turns out to take a whole day, disconnect from business as usual and do nothing but stop, rest, delight, and worship. Well, that takes a little bit of prep. Grocery shopping, clean the house if you're a bit of a neat freak like me, answer text messages, emails, any errands you need to run, all of that stuff. So week two, basically just make a list ahead of time. Here's the things I need to get done in order to take a day to rest and do all of these things. And then if you can, get them done. And just don't go go easy on yourself. Don't pressure yourself, but get those things done. And then, again, build on last week's practice. Just set up beginning ritual and spend the day in rest, stopping, delighting, and worshiping. Exercise three is a digital detox. Now, I know this is a hot topic for a lot of people or a touchy subject for people, and I don't want to mess with you, but I cannot say enough. With zero legalism, obviously the Bible says nothing about your relationship with your smartphone. It's a few millennia before that. But with zero legalism, I cannot encourage you enough to every single week on your Sabbath either turn your phone completely off or at least limit your use. So I love to turn mine, and we do this on our whole family, my wife, myself, all devices in our house go off. No phones, no iPads, no computers. We don't have a TV, but if there was one, it would go off as well. If that's way too extreme or not fun for you, then just limit your use. Maybe that's no social media on Sabbath, and you just check your text messages two or three times a day. I know a lot of people that love to FaceTime with grandma and grandpa or call mom or dad in another city or brother or sister or whatever it is. That's beautiful. That's great. No legalism here. But there is something, I think, really healthy where you get away from the digital kind of input that is always in our mind. and We begin to just rest with God in the moment. And be prepared. This will hit you literally as a withdrawal symptom. Very similar effect on your neurobiology to drugs and other substances. And just let those feelings of anxiety or fear or like you ghost and you reach for your phone that's not there in your pocket or whatever, your purse. Just let those feelings come in and then let them go out. And eventually they will pass. It might take a few weeks or, God forbid, a few months, but they will pass. And if your experience is anything like mine, you'll have the exact opposite feelings. You will just dread turning your phone back on, and you will love the freedom of just a day to be present with God and the people you love and your own soul. The final week, we just call cultivating intimacy through the daily office. 
Daily office is language you may or may not be familiar with. It comes from Benedictine spirituality, where the monks would set offices in the Benedictine tradition seven, one even in the middle of the night and all through the day, just a few times each day to pause and come back. The Benedictine monks would, and still do to this day, read and sing the psalms and pray. Now, in the more ancient kind of way of Jesus, there's just three offices through the day, morning, noon, and night. You read that as far back as the book of Psalms, I think of Psalm 55. But whatever works for you, the idea is just maybe begin your day in some kind of a quiet place with God, a psalm or abiding, breathing prayer, contemplative prayer, or reading scripture, or whatever it is for you. And then maybe just once or twice or three times through the day, just set a little five, ten minute block and just come back to God. If that's a psalm, if that's a poem, if that's a walk through the park, if that's listening prayer, if that's reading, whatever it is for you, just set a little moment to again center your attention and your affection on God. Because again, Sabbath isn't just a day off. It's just not a day for some me time to unplug and chill. It's more than that. It's a day for stopping, for resting, for delighting, and above all, for worshiping. That should get you started. If you don't already have it, download How to Unhurry for free off of my website to begin your practice of Sabbath.